Hello and welcome to C3 Newcastle City Podcast. It is our honour to host you and trust you will enjoy this message as much as we did. For more information about C3 Newcastle City or to connect with us, visit our website, www.c3nc.com. Come on. Hey, how you going this morning, church? You doing good? Just high five your neighbour. Just say, hello, good looking. Would you do that? That's just something we do in the church in Brisbane. Maybe a statement of faith for some of us this morning. That's good. Wonderful. Man, what an amazing church this is. It's so good to be here in Newcastle this morning. And, uh, you know, I've got my jacket on here. You can see I'm a true Queenslander. I brought my jacket here this morning. It's, uh, no, it's not cold at all. It's actually beautiful here. And it's been about, um, it's been about 10 years since I've been here. And I just can't believe how much Newcastle is booming. Like, this place is amazing where you live. It's just incredible. The most beautiful beaches, most amazing people. Ryan and I got to go last night. We got a tour of the city and eat burgers and have... It was one of the greatest gelato I've ever had in my life right there last night. It was incredible, and uh, it's, uh, it's fantastic to be here, and uh, I love it. I love it. You know how good Newcastle is? I'll tell you how much Newcastle's on fire right now. Even the Knights are on fire this weekend. Come on. Any Knights fans in the house? Any come on this morning. I'm celebrating with you, man. It's like last week, if you follow the league, last week, my team, the mighty Brisbane Broncos, we beat the Roosters, and then you guys put them to the sword this week. I love it. Fantastic, and uh, it's so good to see. There's something that unites us between Newcastle and Brisbane, and that's just beating any team from Sydney, amen. I, that's, uh, that's what I love, and uh, it's so good. And also, as well, I just want to say that if you are a Newcastle Knights fan, um, we have very generously lent you one of our best players. His name's Kalen Ponga, and uh, just, uh, just to say that, we'll have him back one day. That'll be good. Be called the State of Origin. And uh, that'll be good. But it's so good to be here today. Hey, um, just uh, thanks, Ryan, so much for, for that, uh, that description. I, I look around and go, who's that person you're talking about right there? But that's very generous of you. Hey, a little bit about, not so much about my church, but hey, a little bit about my family. I think, have we got a photo of my family? I might put that up on the screen. Have you guys got that there that we can whack up? No? Haven't got, anyway, listen, let me tell you a little bit about my family. They managed to find that photo. But listen, I have, uh, I've got three kids, three wonderful kids. Three amazing kids, and uh, they are 15, uh, 12, and 10 years old, and uh, they're awesome, Haley, Joel, and Sienna, and my beautiful wife, Wendy, as well. And uh, so you might be thinking, how tall is this guy right here on stage? I am. I'm pretty tall. I'm six foot six, and my wife is six foot tall, beautiful blonde and uh, amazing. And so uh, our children, and they are children still, but our, our children are also quite tall as well, not surprisingly with the heritage of, of, of a six-foot-six dad and a, and, a, and a mother who's six-foot-tall. In fact, uh, I'll tell you something about this. My daughter, who's 15 years old, just turned 15 years old, has just cracked six-foot-one right now. And uh, yes, dads, I have the shotgun ready to go. And uh, for, any, uh, for any boyfriends that may come around, but she's, a, <laughs> she's, she's really tall. She plays a lot of netball. My son, who's he's about 12, he's, he's, he's getting pretty tall as well. And so was, when my son was quite young, everyone used to ask him, you know, what do you want to do when you get older? What do you want, Joel, what do you want to do when you get older? And I just said to him, look, son, you know, the world's, the world's your oyster. I want to let you know. He's about five or six. I said, mate, the world's your oyster, but I just want to let you know, with a, with a dad who's six foot six and with a mum who's six foot tall, there are two things that you're never going to be in life. You're never going to be a jockey and you're never going to be a halfback. But I want to limit your options, but I just want to just cross those two out along the way. And, uh, but it's fun. And, uh, and how many of you know, if your parents here this morning, how many of you know that life is full, isn't it? Life is full. Life is fun. I love to say to people this way, I have two jobs. Uh, through the day, I'm a pastor. And at night, I'm an unpaid Uber driver. That's what I do. I drive the kids around. And I am their social director, their Uber driver. And uh, it's fantastic. But I wouldn't have life any other way. 
It's awesome. And uh, hey, uh, listen, I want to honor this morning uh, your pastors, Ryan and Erica, who are, to me, they are heroes of not just for you guys in your church. I know you love them. And I was just watching this morning as, as Ryan was coming in and just the, the, obviously the great love you have for this couple here. But they are heroes in our movement. I want to let you know the, movement, the C3 movement across Australia for they have been such incredible servants to so many churches in our movement. Ryan has been working on our national team and does that apart from the, uh, all the work that he does here. And also as well, I want to just, you know, congratulate and thank, you know, all your church. You've done such an amazing job in helping with other churches around as well. And just been such an incredible, incredible couple. Love these guys. They're amazing pastors. Such a great heart for God. And, you know, this morning, I love being in here because I love being in a church that just makes room for God to move. And, you know, that's a great church. Is a great church is a great church when there's a place for God to move and, and powerfully change people's lives. So could we please thank and appreciate your pastors. They're amazing people. Always celebrate with them this morning. And so I want to preach to you this morning on, uh, on the topic, loving the house of God, loving the house of God. And uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 18, I'm going to read a scripture. If you've maybe been in church for a while, you would have heard this scripture in Matthew 16, 18. These are actually the words of Jesus. And he says this about the church and about what we call the house of God. Jesus said these words, Matthew 16, verse 18. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, that's the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. I find it fascinating. If you go through the Gospels, there's only one thing that Jesus said that he would build, and that is the house of God. Jesus' vision, his mission was, he said, I have come to do this one thing. He said, it was not going to be peripheral to my agenda. It's not just going to be something on the side. He said, my mission, my vision is going to be to build the house of God on the earth. And I believe this, that our highest purpose and our greatest call would be to give our lives to build what Jesus gave his life to build, and that was the church. And so this morning, I want to take you just on a little bit of a journey this morning on this topic of loving the house of God, why I love the house of God, and why I believe as well that you and I should be united in that same love and commitment to helping build what Jesus has promised that he would build. And so this morning, I want to share with you just uh, three words, actually, that I believe are, uh, are such vital words when we talk about the house of God and what it really means and really what is church all about and uh, why you and I come together in this magnificent place every single Sunday to worship God and to gather together. And I want to talk about three words this morning, all these words just to help us this morning. They start with the letter T, uh, just to help us. They're, they're words I think are so important about the house of God. The first word is this. The word is transformation. I love the house of God because the house of God is a place where God transforms people's lives. And a transformed life is this. A transformed life is when God actually comes and lives on the inside of a person and actually changes them or transforms them from the inside out. How many of you know this morning, God actually works inside out? That, that's, that's how God works in the human life. God works by changing us on the inside. So then from that change on the inside, that then he can change things on the outside. The, the greatest problem that I think many of us face, and I would be one of them because of the background I grew up in, is that we get, we get it the wrong way around. If we've grown up in a religious context, religion tries to change us from the outside in. It's called behavior modification. 
But how many of you know that the only thing that behavior modification would lead to is frustration? But when God begins to move, He's a God who begins to change us and transform us from the inside out. And I would say this, the number one thing that motivates me as a leader, the number one thing that gets me up in the morning is when I begin to think about the lives that I have seen changed and transformed in the house of God. And I was thinking about one of those guys this morning, actually. I was thinking about a a young guy I actually began to know at the age of 17 years old. And I want to tell you a little bit about his story. And I got to know him in church. And I was his youth pastor back in the day. And his name was Joel. And uh, Joel actually came to church and he was invited by his friend who was in our church, another guy in our youth group, his name was Mick. Now, uh, I want you to know this about Joel, is that Joel was invited to come to church by Mick, not once, but he later told me it was around about 45 times. How many of you know that's a good friend? They won't just stop inviting once, but just kept on inviting and kept on inviting Joel. Eventually, Joel actually said yes, and he came to church. But Joel's situation was, Joel actually had come through what was a very heartbreaking family situation. Joel, at the age of 14, uh, his mother suddenly and very unexpectedly died, died, and she died from a, a massive brain aneurysm. Joel was actually there at 14 years old, the very moment that his mum passed away. And it affected him so badly. And at 14 years old, having gone through this and really no, having no way to deal with it, he was a broken and he was a messed up young fella. And he began to try all sorts of things. He began to experiment with drugs. He began to do all kinds of stuff with his life, just trying essentially just to fill the pain and the void that was on the inside of his heart. And he later told me on, he said, nothing I did ever satisfied. Temporarily, it may have for a night or a moment, but he said that hole remained within me. He said, I was broken. And he said, I I, I had no answers. He said, I was invited along to church. And not only did I have this hole on the inside of me, this brokenness, he said, I was just full of anger. He said, I was full of pain for what I'd gone through. And and so he he said, I had no, no direction, no purpose in life. And Joel came actually one night to one of our Sunday night services that we held. And he said he came into church. And in a moment, in the house of God, Joel had an encounter with God. Joel actually, for the first time, he says, when I came through the doors of the church, he said, I was just, I said, I couldn't believe what I began to experience. He said, when the worship was on, he said, and then when the, when the preaching was on, he said, I began for the first time to really experience what people talked about or what I heard about the love of God. He said, that love began to do this work. And he said, it was like there were these walls that were in my heart that just began to slowly come down. And he said, it was through that meeting, he said, I, I couldn't believe it. I, just, I began to weep. I began to, he goes, I just began overcome with emotion because for the first time in my life, my, my heart began to draw near to God and I began to experience His love. You know, during that service, the person who was preaching gave him an opportunity at the end of that service. He gave everyone an opportunity to actually put their hands up and receive Christ in his life. Joel, in the very first church service he was in, he said, I just, I didn't know what I was doing. He said, I put my hand up and I asked Christ into my life. And he said, from that moment, everything began to change. And it was from that moment that I actually became a, a, a person, a person of, of, of leadership in his life as a youth pastor, but also like a friend in his world too. And I began to watch this 17-year-old who came into our church and dressed in all kinds of pretty dark clothing in the day just when you had, you know, goths and that sort of thing as well. And he'd come in and he was dark. And I watched it over a period of about two years. Joel began to come to church every single week and he came to our youth group. And what began to happen was this transformation began to happen in his life. This brightness began to happen. 
he later said to me, he said, I began after I came to church, he goes, I began smiling again. I think I, he said, I don't think I'd smiled in about three or four years. And he began to change and he began to transform. And I, I saw this joy begin to rise up in this young man. I saw this transformation begin to happen in his world. And then this sense of purpose came on him. And actually, Joel began to, after about two years, he began to volunteer then as a youth leader. One of the most remarkable things, he became, he was 19 years old. And then he actually became a youth leader to 13, 14-year-olds who were many times young boys in exactly the same kind of position that he was in. And he began to lead them and he began to steer them. And then, and then I saw him and he ended up marrying this amazing girl at our church, Amy, who's on our staff. And just today, I was talking to him just this week and he's about eight weeks away and they're about to have their first baby. Oh, that's awesome. But I tell you what, church, when I think about a teenager like Joel, who came into our church, and then to see how Jesus transformed his life. If I ever need motivation, if I ever need some fuel, if I ever need someone to pick me up about why building the house of God is so important, why loving the house of God and being partnered together to see his house expand and grow to become everything it's called to be. If I ever need some motivation, I think about people like Joel. And that's why I love the house of God. And that's why I'm so passionate about building the house of God, because it's actually about building a church for people. That's why I love the name of this church. It's the house of God. It's about building a church for people. It's about building a church for people who feel like they're far away from God. It's actually about building a church for people who are searching for answers. It's about building a church for people who feel like in life they, they haven't found purpose, they haven't found fulfillment in life. It's about building a church for people that can come in and maybe they've come in with all kinds of brokenness or maybe they've come in with all kinds of disappointment in their life or maybe they've come in and maybe they even believe that God is real, but yet they have no concept whatsoever of how much that God actually loves them and how much that God wants to see their heart and their life transformed. And I love it. I love building the house of God so that people could walk into a building like this one and they could walk through the doors of this place and they could come here and they could find the God who created them, the God who loved them, the God who died for them, a God who heals, a God who saves, a God who's willing to walk with them through the valleys to lead them out to the other side, how many of you know the God of the God of the house is a God who can break addictions. He's a God who can heal relationships. He's a God who can set us free and he's a God who can, who can restore. And that's why I love the house of God because I believe the house of God is all about building a place on this earth. It's about building a place of such significance in our city so that people would come and their lives could be transformed by Jesus. Come on, I want you to give God a great clap here this morning. He's awesome. See, I love the house of God because, number one, the house of God is a place where Jesus comes and He transforms our life. That's what He does. He, he changes us from the inside out. You know, the second reason I love the house of God, I love the house of God because the house of God is actually a place for us to find togetherness. It's actually a place for you and I to find relationships and community. And I love it. You know, there's a fascinating observation. You'll find it in the book of Genesis. And God creates Adam. He creates man, the Bible says, in his image, in his likeness. And then after a while, God makes this observation. And he says this about Adam. And he really is saying this about not just Adam, but he's saying this about all of humanity. God speaks these words and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Which I find that's a fascinating comment to make. Because how many of you know that actually Adam wasn't alone? The Bible says that Adam had God. 
In fact, one of the scriptures in the Bible says that Adam would walk with God in the cool of the day. Adam was in relationship with God. So why would God say to Adam at this point here, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. You know what God was saying? God was saying to Adam, you need more than just relationship with me. I have created you for relationship with one another. He's saying, I, I want you not just in life to have relationship with me. That, that's, that's, the, that's the first relationship I want you to have sort of, but I want your life to thrive and prosper and it will only thrive and prosper when you're in relationship with people. See, Adam needed more than just relationship with God. God had actually wired Adam for relationships and community. You see, how many of you know this morning, you and I were not designed to do life alone. You were not designed to do life in isolation. God has created you and I to do life in community. God has created you and I to do life together. Let me say it this way. Life together is God's best plan for you and I. It is. Life together is God's best plan for you and I. You know, I was reading a, a story a little while ago. Uh, it was about something that happened at an event called the Invictus Games. How many of you heard of the Invictus Games before? The Invictus Games. If you haven't heard of the Invictus Games before, uh, they are a sporting competition uh, that were basically created for those that were veterans uh, of uh, various uh, wars. Uh, so, so people who had many cases had suffered either physically or emotionally or mentally as a result of serving in the armed forces all around the world. They created these games as, as a way to get people together who had been involved in various capacities serving. And this story was about the Invictus Games that were held in Sydney last year. The story was about a doubles game of tennis that happened. Now, this game of doubles tennis that happened, there were two players on the team. One was representing Great Britain, and his name was Paul Guest. Paul was 54 years old, and he was serving in the English Armed Forces. And many years before that, Paul was injured while he was on active duty. And what happened while he was injured, he ended up being choppered out from the location where he was. The end result, though, for Paul was that he suffered very serious neck and spine injuries and ended up being confined to a wheelchair. Later on, Paul was diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Through the years with his PTSD, Paul had attempted suicide four separate times. Paul would say later on in this news article that he decided to compete in the Invictus Games because he needed to get support and help from others. The new story was about him playing this game of doubles tennis. There was Paul and there was his doubles partner, a guy by the name of Eddie. Paul was about to serve from his wheelchair in the middle of this game of doubles tennis when a media helicopter began to fly overhead. Straight away as this media helicopter began to fly overhead, it triggered flashbacks for him. Paul became so overcome with emotion, he dropped the tennis racket where he was and he just began to weep. The crowd was stunned. His friend, Eddie, who was standing at the net, turned around and he saw his friend Paul who was suffering and he ran over to him. He ran over to him and he, he grabbed Paul and he says, I want you to look at me. And, and this, by this stage, Paul was just weeping. And Eddie grabbed Paul by the face and I said, I want you to look at me. And he says, we're a team, Paul, and we're going to let this go today. And he said, Eddie... He said, oh, so Eddie said to Paul, he said, Paul, I want you to look into my eyes and we're going to sing a song. It's called Let It Go. Right at that moment, Paul and Eddie, surrounded by a crowd of about 300 people, began to sing the lyrics of the Disney song Frozen, Let It Go. 
They didn't just sing it, they bellowed it out in this stadium. Paul began to sing this through his tears. Eddie began to sing this through his tears. It was a moment that people said they'd never forget. The whole crowd joined in, began to sing this song, Let It Go. And I love this story because he did. He began to sing this song, Let It Go. And he would say later on, Paul would say, he said, that was literally the moment right there as I sung that song that all of my pain began to disappear. He said, the audience were in tears. He said, I, he says, I was so overcome. He said, these guys, these people, my friend, my partner at the Invictus, he said, these people have become like my band of brothers. He said, I competed in the, in the Invictus game so I could find support, but now I feel like I belong. I now feel like I have people that is around my life. And the truth is this church, I love that story because I believe it's such a powerful story that you and I need to know this. We need each other. We need each other in life. We need each other for strength. We need each other for support. We need each other for encouragement. We need each other for care. And guess what? The great level in the Christian life is sometimes we're like Paul, aren't we? Sometimes we need people who are going to come alongside us in the middle of our valley, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our battle. And maybe sometimes as well, we're like Eddie, and I love Eddie's response in that moment. Maybe he didn't know what to do at that point in time, but I love the response is that he ran towards him. And I believe this as a church that you and I understand that I believe God has placed you and I community just for that very reason, that we would be a people, that we would be individuals, that in the middle of other people's troubles, in the middle of other people's battles, that we would run towards them. And I believe that as you and I become those kinds of people, I believe we find that there's such strength and there's such life and there's such encouragement that we find that we'll only find when we embrace community. And I'll put it this way. There is no journey towards God, I believe, that will not bring us closer to one another. There's, there's no journey we take towards God that does not bring us closer to one another. After we get a revelation of who Christ is, I believe God wants us to have a revelation of each other that we need each other, that we actually need each other in life, that He doesn't want us to do life alone. Actually, God wants you and I to find life-giving relationships. God wants us to find community. God wants us to find family. Can I tell you, church, this morning, that's exactly the reason that God created the church. It was to place us together, not as individuals, but as a people, as a family together, because God wants you and I connected in community, not isolated, not alone, because He knows we're better together. And he knows we're stronger together. You know, I was reading a fascinating story about redwood trees. Have we got that? Would the guys have that photo? We've got that photo. Awesome. Can I put that one up on the screen? I want to show you this photo just to give you a perspective of what redwood trees are like. That's a man standing at the bottom of one of these redwood trees. Let me tell you about the redwood trees for a minute. The redwood trees, they're so amazing because they are actually the tallest trees in the world. You'll find them at a place near Yosemite Park in California. Maybe some of you have even visited and seen some of these trees before. They're remarkable. The tallest tree in the world that was discovered in recent times was a redwood tree, 115 meters tall. The typical redwood tree lives for between 500 to 700 years. The world's oldest redwood tree is more than 2,000 years old. They are called the whales of the tree world. The most fascinating thing though I think about the redwood tree is not the height they grow to, but actually the redwood tree never grows alone. In fact, a redwood tree cannot grow alone. You'll only ever find a redwood tree growing in a cluster. It'll only be able to grow in a group. What I find incredible about this, the strongest, 
healthiest, most majestic trees in all the world, they can only grow when they're together. The roots of the redwood tree, listen to this, they don't just grow down, they actually grow out. In other words, they grow down in order to give stability, but they grow out to give strength. So what happens, the reason they grow in clusters is that their roots go out and the roots of the redwood trees, they wrap around each other. They actually interlock with one another. And it's these interlocking roots that actually enable these trees to grow so strong and tall. Because here's the deal. If a redwood tree is isolated, or if it tries to grow alone, it's too big that even the, even the smallest uh, breeze, even the smallest wind that comes by would topple it over as it began to grow. But when a redwood tree grows in clusters, guess what happens? Even the fiercest storms come. And, and that's known, this area is known for having some of the, the, the highest areas of wind that would come through. Even when the fiercest wind comes through, even when the, the biggest storms come through, guess what happens? They hold each other together. Not only do these redwood trees have, have roots that actually interlock with one another to hold each other through the storms of life and hold each other through the battles of life, it's remarkable because God's created the, the roots of these trees and they actually pass nutrients to one another. Do you know why they do that? Because when one of the trees becomes sick or when one of the trees becomes weak or when one of the trees is struggling, the stronger trees then pass the nutrients to the weaker trees, enabling to support them until they get strong again. How many of you know, I believe God has you and I and wants you and I to be the redwood trees of the Christian life. He wants you and I to know this. We cannot grow and reach our full potential if we do it in isolation, if we try to go it alone. It, it, God has wired you and I to thrive in life when we thrive on the basis of community, when we thrive on the basis of one another, when you and I make that decision that, you know what, it's not just about me coming to church, but it's about me actually having community and friendship. I'm going to interlock my life with other people so that I can tap into the strength that I'm going to need to get through the storms of life so that I can be the strength for another person that enables them to walk through that divorce or enables them to walk through that, that, that finance situation that's going on in their life, that health battle that they're walking through, that you and I would be people that would hold each other together through strength and also, I believe as well, in community. Come on, let's give the Lord a great hand this morning. He's awesome. And I believe that's one of the greatest pictures that you and I can have. In the book Ecclesiastes, it says this, it says, two are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, guess what? The other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Listen to this. Two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can, one warm, how can one person be warm alone? A person standing alone, they can be defeated. But listen to this. But two, two who stand together, they will stand back to back and they will conquer. I love that scripture because I believe that's all what church is supposed to be about. You and I, the Bible says here, if we will stand together, if we'll stand together in faith, if we'll stand together in agreement, the Bible says that guess what will happen? You and I will conquer and we will overcome in life. We'll help each other succeed. See, I love the house of God, number two, because the house of God, it's a place where we find togetherness. It's a place where we find community. And here's a third thing that I love about the house of God. I love the house of God because it's a place of transformation. I love the house of God because it's a place where you and I can find togetherness. We can find, we can find encouragement. We can find strength. 
We can find community. And here's a third one. I love the house of God because it's a place where actually God has us taking ground together. Taking ground. I love the house of God because it's a place that God's dream would be always expanding. That His house is always growing. That His house is always looking out. That his, his house is never inward looking, but His house is always looking outward, looking outward to, to those that aren't yet in here, that are looking outward to those who have not yet found that love and that mercy and that goodness in their life. The house of God is a place, I believe, where God would call us always to be a church that takes ground and expands. I love the book of Psalm 132. There's a particular psalm in there I really love. It's a psalm actually that's written by a guy by the name of Solomon. But it's actually written about his dad. It's called David. And Solomon was writing this particular psalm about some of the things that he knew were in his dad's heart. And this is a, this is a son speaking about his father, but it's actually a son not just speaking about his father's love for God. It's a, it's a son that's now speaking with, I think, a great sense of gratitude to the legacy that his father had actually created for him to walk in. You see, Solomon was the one who built the temple. He built the house of God that became such a magnificent place in all the face of that earth. But it was David that first, it was David the father who first had the dream. It was David the father who first had this dream for building the house of God. And this is what it says in the book of Psalm 132. This is, this is Solomon talking about his dad, David. He says, Lord, remember David, and all that he suffered. He's like, Lord, remember my dad. I know he went through some troubles. I know he went through some hardships. I, I know he fought some battles for these things that he had a deep commitment in his heart to do. And he says, remember all my dad suffered and how he made this solemn promise to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Israel. And this was the vow that David made and his son Solomon knew it. The vow that David made was this, I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep, nor will I close my eyelids in slumber until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Jacob. Solomon's talking about his dad. And I believe he's talking about his dad with such a great sense of admiration for his father, not for the wealth that he'd accumulated, not, not for some worldly success that he'd achieved in life, although David did achieve a lot of success and David had a lot of wealth. No, his son now was looking at his father and saying, I'm so thankful for what my dad did, for what my dad did that I'm now walking in the legacy of. And he's saying, my dad, I know this, my dad was a man of commitment. My dad was a dad who made vows to the Lord. He made promises to God and he fulfilled those vows and he fulfilled those promises and he's saying, my dad's commitments to God were so strong. You see, how many of you know this, that actually for the church to take ground, it requires people that will take vows. That the house of God is built on people like you and I who make commitments to the Lord. And it's through those commitments, it's through those vows that the church becomes everything that God's called it to be. And he's saying now, he's saying, I'm so thankful that I've got this legacy now, Solomon's saying, and I've seen my dad and he's carried that legacy and now I'm carrying it. And his commitment was so strong. And you know what he said about his commitment? He said, David's commitment to God was not just to his relationship to God. It was his commitment to build the house of God. He said, my dad's vow was this. He's like, I'm not just gonna look after my own interests. I'm not just gonna look after, it says, my own comfort first. He's saying, I'm not, 
I says, David was like, I'm not going to let myself rest. I'm not going to even let my eyes sleep. He's, David was saying this, I'm going to make this commitment to build the house of God. It's going to become my first priority in life. It's going to become my, my cause, my passion, my mission. Because how many of you know this? Nothing in great in life just happens. It always takes people who make commitments, who make vows. It's like marriage. A great marriage doesn't happen. It takes two people who are willing to make a commitment and make a vow to one another. And we say that in front of witnesses. We say, I, I'm making these vows. I'm making these commitments. We're going to love each other. We're going to do that through sickness and health. We're going to do that for richer and poorer. We're going to do it through good times. We're going to do it through difficult times. But we're making this vow. That's what David is talking about here. He's saying, I, I know about marriage vows, but I'm talking here about the vows that I make for God. That whether it's convenient or not, that whether I feel like it or not, whether I'm in sickness or health, whether it's in good times or difficult times, David's saying, I've made this deep commitment to build the house of God. And I think David understood this, that those commitments always have a price tag. He said, David's like, I know it's going to cost me some sleep. I know that building the house of God, it's, there's going to be some pushback sometimes. I know sometimes there's going to be times where I feel like, man, is, is this worth it? But I love it because David was a vision builder. He was the vision builder in the very truest sense of the word. He said, not only do I have this vision for the house of God, but I have this vision that's going to far, far exceed my lifetime. I see my children in the house of God. That's what David was saying. I see Solomon. I see my children growing up in the house of God. I see my grandchildren growing up in the house of God. And my life is going to be committed to seeing the generations that come from my life and from others' lives being raised up in the house of God. And I love it. David, the Bible says, he, he gave an offering to build the house of God. And that offering actually became, guess what? It became an all-in moment for people. The Bible says that actually David brought an offering. The, 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 the story is that David actually, he had his dream to build the house of God in all its fullness. He saw it. He had this vision for it. And then God said to David, he said, your son is going to build the house of God. How many of you know God's a generational God? He doesn't just have a vision for our life. He has a vision for generations. And, and I love this church because I, there's so many amazing young people in this church. I love seeing the church filled with so many amazing children in this place. And David's like that. I've got this vision for the house of God, but it's a, it's a vision to see his house become a house for generations. Younger people raised up in the house of God. And David, the Bible says, he, even though he wasn't to be the one to build the house of God, the Bible says that he came and he gave an offering. He came and, he, and the Bible says that offering was so significant. If you were to take that offering and put it into today's terms, actually David gave over $1 billion to build the house of God. Amazing. What was so significant wasn't the amount. It was that David made a decision. He was going to build the house of God, but he was going to do that with a commitment. He was going to do that with a faith. And he was going to do that with, a, with such a heart. The Bible says that it spurred on everyone around him as well. And they brought offerings to build the house of God. You know, as we get the musos up here this morning, I remember in the life of our church, we, uh, we had a, a, a pretty significant moment in the life of our church a little few years ago now. But that moment was uh, we had our church. And our church was, uh, was a demountable classroom building in front of a caravan park in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. Pretty spectacular. And that's uh, when I first started coming to the church. But I remember I came to that church. It's just like this one. It was full of life. It was full of faith. It was full of power. And uh, we were in this church, and then uh, it was a demountable classroom building. And that, that 
classroom building every week just seemed like just got fuller and fuller, a bit like this place here. We kept putting out more seats and those seats became more and more filled and we were busing kids actually. We were busing kids from the, the church where we were to the local school so we could run our, our kids' church out there and uh, we had this moment and we realized that actually, guess what? The church we were meeting was too small for where we wanted to go, for our vision. And so it became this moment. I remember because we were part of a, a leadership team there as well. There was a moment where we said, we've got to find a new place for our church. And uh, that place actually was, became a, uh, a block of land that was a few kilometers up the road. And uh, you've got to remember, we were a church in a demountable classroom building. And uh, we found that there was this block of land that was three acres at a place called Bridgman Downs. And someone came back and said, well, we need a new, new place. What about three acres at Bridgman Downs? We could buy some land and build a church there. I was like, wow. It was one of these moments actually in the life of our church. And there was a leadership team that were gathered around a table as, uh, as this was discussed actually. Could we do this? What do you think? And this, uh, this particular story has gone down to folklore in our church because Here's our church right now. We, we just, we're full. We're like, God, oh, we need it. We need to step out in faith. We need to, we need to take, take some new ground in our church. And one of the guys that was there when he heard about this three acres of land and uh, it was on sale for the princely sum at that time of $185,000, which was a giant leap of faith. And this guy, Dave, who was there, he heard that, pulled out his wallet, opened up his wallet, reached inside, realized he had like a $2 coin that was in there took it out he flipped that coin up bounced around on the table and he just looked at everyone in the room and he said I'm all in I'm all in and guess what from that moment there was such a such a palpable sense not just in that leadership room right then but actually in all of our church that this was our moment to step up this was our moment to give that we could why because we sensed that God actually was calling us into something so much bigger and and so much further than we'd ever dreamed before the amazing thing about it was from that day, our church began to, to give in a way we'd, we'd probably never done before in the life of our church and, and raise the funds to do it. And, and I remember we bought this block of land and we put up this sign up the front on the three, on the three acres of land right in the middle of Bridgman Down that said Christian City Church, the relevant church right there. There it was. And then over the next 12 months, we built this building on there. And I remember the first day we walked into this brand new building. It was massive. It was huge. We walked into this building. And uh, honestly, I can tell you right now, it felt like I was, you're walking into something like the Taj Mahal. We walked in there, it was, it was like, wow, God, what have you done here? This is incredible, this is amazing. And uh, what we saw was just amazing. Over these next two years, our church doubled in size. We had, we had our whole community coming in. You know why, I tell you? Because you, and I, because you and I, I believe this, are called by God to be people who would step out in faith always to build His house. And what we saw there was God do something so incredible, but He did it. How many of you know this? God doesn't build His church on the giftings and the talents of a few people. He actually builds it on the faith and the commitment and the sacrifice of many of us. And that's what you and I are called to do. We are called to be vision builders, to build His house. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and it was a great encouragement to you. For more information about C3 Newcastle City, visit our website, www.c3nc.com.